Dear friends and listeners, uh, dear viewers rather, Allah bless you all. We start off with some Quran. This is the 26th lesson uh, in this series on Ulum al-Quran. And we begin in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم له ملك السماوات والأرض وإلى الله ترجع الأمور يولج الليل في النهار ويولج النهار في الليل وهو عليم بذات الصدور آمنوا بالله ورسوله وأنفقوا مما جعلكم مستخلفين فيه فالذين آمنوا منكم وأنفقوا لهم أجر كبير وما لكم لا تؤمنون بالله والرسول يدعوكم لتؤمنوا بربكم وقد أخذ ميثاقكم إن كنتم مؤمنين هو الذي ينزل على عبده آيات بينات ليخرجكم من الظلمات إلى النور وإن الله بكم لرؤوف رحيم صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما Today is a bit of a different topic to what we usually cover. It's still related to the Quran. So I've got another topic which is related to the Quran. And some of you, uh, you know, inshallah, you will benefit from that. And it's very important. Actually, something I could have done later on, but I'm going to do that earlier now. The discussion of the Sahaba's interaction with the Quran. The companions interacting with the Quran. Why is this relevant? Because we've read all of these things about the Quran and that's inspired us. Now it's a good idea to understand one of the best communities, uh, the host community and one of the best communities in terms of how they interacted with the Quran, how they dealt with the Quran, how they followed the Quran and um, uh, inshallah what the Quran did for them. And I think that's going to be very, very relevant for us inshallah. So what this is essentially are separate uh, incidents with Sahaba that go, go to underscore their commitment to the Quran, their engagement with the Quran. That should inshallah benefit us as well in terms of how our engagement should be. This is a hadith related by Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak. He says it's a hadithun sahihul isnad. And it's related from Haritha ibn Mudarrab who says that Umar radiallahu anhu made a dua. This was in the beginning. After he'd become Muslim, he observed the situation. And remember, at the beginning of Islam, wine and intoxicants had not been prohibited yet. They'd not been made unlawful, and there was a trend and a custom in Arabia to drink. People had a habit of drinking, and they drank a lot. You know, There was a lot of drinking there, just like a lot of these communities do. So Umar anhu did not like it. Now Umar had penetrative insight from before. And he had a very Quranic way of looking at things. This is all I can say, that he had a very Quranic insight, very Quranic distinguishment. That's why he's called Omar al-Farooq, the distinguisher. Same concept as Furqan, the, the, the criterion, the distinguisher. So there has been a number of occasions, over 20, uh, in which Umar anhu prayed for something and the Quran was revealed to the Prophet with a verse related to that aspect. 
So this is one of those occasions for sure. Umar radiallahu anhu said, now this is really amazing. He said, Allahumma bayyin lana fil khamr. Oh Allah, give us clarity. Grant us clarity regarding wine, regarding liquor, regarding intoxication. Give us some clarity. Right. So the verse, firstly, the verse was revealed. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la taqarabu salata wa antum sukara hatta ta'lamu ma taqulun. O people who believe, do not come close to prayer while you are intoxicated. Until you know what you're saying. Now what happened is that there was actually another occasion as well. Umar had made this dua, but there was another occasion as well where one of the Sahaba, I think it was Ali radiallahu anhu, who led the prayer while intoxicated. And he read the whole surah wrong. Qul ya kafirun was read wrong. This was right at the beginning of Islam. Anyway, Umar had made this dua. So this verse was revealed. So the Prophet knowing Umar had made such a dua and was asking for such a thing, he called Umar and he recited this verse to him. Now, Umar didn't seem like he's completely satisfied yet. Uh, it's not there in terms of what he, what he wants, even more clarity. So then he made a dua again. Allahumma bayyin lana fil khamr. Oh Allah, give us clarity regarding intoxications and wine. So thereafter that, shortly sometime after that, another verse was revealed. Yas'alunaka anil khamri wal maysir. قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا They ask you about wine and gambling. Say that there is sin in both of them. Right? Both of them are sin. In, in both of them is a sin. So when you drink, uh, it's going to cause you to commit sin. And there's some benefit in there. You know, like they say brandy has some benefit or something like that, whatever. There's some benefit in there for whatever reason. But their sin is greater than their benefit. Now, the idea is that a lot of people desisted the first time around. And this with this one, a lot more people desisted. But in terms of the exact engagement, the Prophet ﷺ again called Umar and he recited these verses to him. Again, Umar anhu. He maybe thought this isn't far enough yet. People are still not going to stop completely. And he wanted to stop people completely. He made another dua. Allahumma bayyin lana fil khamr. Again, O oh Allah, grant us clarity regarding wine. So now the third time, another verse came down. And this one was it. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu innama al-khamru wal-maysiru wal-ansabu wal-azlamu rijisun min amali shaytan and it carries on. O oh, people who believe wine, gambling, and you know, as I explained earlier, uh, this, uh, this verse I've explained before, the divining arrows and all of these idols and all the other things that they used to have in that time, this is all ridsun. This is all filth. It's from the work of the shaitan. It's from the work of the devil. So abstain from it. Stay away from it so that you can be successful. And then at the end, actually Allah says, فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُنْدَهُونَ Are you going to stop this now? So the Prophet ﷺ again called Umar anhu and recited this to him. And Umar anhu said, in reaction to فَنْتَهُ فَهَلْ أَنْتُمْ مُنْتَهُونَ Are you going to be مُنْتَهُونَ Enders. Are you going to be finished with this now? So he said, إِنْ يَا رَبْ We have stopped. 
our Lord. We have stopped our Lord. So that's the kind of background to this where Umar is making this dua and this verse. And there were several, as I said, there's over 20 instances where something like this happened where the Prophet وسلم, uh, had verses revealed to him and Umar had made a dua, Umar had asked a question, Umar had um, given a suggestion of some sort and, and so on. Now, the full story there about then what happened once the intoxication was prohibited, what happens next is Imam Ibn Jarir al-Tabari has related from Qatada, who relates from Anas radiallahu anhu, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, the servant of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, he was at that point uh, serving wine for Abu Talha. Right? He was serving wine to the guests of Abu Talha. So he says, Udiru al-Ka'as ala Abi Talha. I was serving wine to Abu Talha, Abu Ubayda ibn al-Jarrah, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, Suhail ibn Bayda, and Abu Dajana. These people were all there and they were drinking and I was serving wine to them. And to such a degree that, you know, they were, uh, some of them had actually become intoxicated. This was through, this was through a, a date wine, Khalitu Busr wa Tamar of both the fresh uh, early stage uh, dates and you know the dry, uh, the kind of drier dates right that is what it was made from and suddenly i heard somebody calling out ala innal khamra qad hurrimat that wine has become haram wine is now prohibited unlawful and he said nobody came inside nobody went outside until we had actually dropped all of that wine out. All the rest of the wine that we had, we poured it out. And we actually, not just that, we actually broke the pots that it was in as well. The vessels that the wine came in, we even broke those. And some of us made wudu, some of us made ghusl. And then after that, Umm Sulaim, this is his mother, Umm Sulaim. He said she had some perfume, so we took that perfume and we put it on ourselves as well to maybe mask the, mask the smell. Subhanallah. Now, the, the, then we, he said we went out to the masjid. And there the Prophet ﷺ was there reciting the verse for us. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu innama al-khamru wal-maysiru wal-ansabu wal-azlamu rijisun min amali shaytan fajtanibuhu la'allakum tuflihoon. Innama yuki'u baynakun adawata wal-baghd. Shaytan wants to create adawa in a shaytana. And it carries on until Fahal Antum Muntahun. So somebody said, Ya Rasulullah. Now they got worried. What about all those people who had been drinking before that had become Muslim and who died? What about them? They've died having had drink in their in their body. So that's why somebody asked, Ya Rasulullah, Fama manzilatu man mata yashrabuha. What's the status of the one who died while he had been drinking? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, subhanallah, subhanallah. You see, this is the whole point. The Quran is such, you can understand from this, that when you engage with the Quran, 
it will give you answers. That's the beautiful part of this, that, that when you engage with the Qur'an, the Qur'an gives you answers. So these people are engaging with the Prophet Sallallahu what about the status of those people? Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala reveals another verse. لَيْسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاحٌ فِيمَا تُعِمُوا إِذَا مَتَّقَوْا وَآمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ ثُمَّ اتَّقَوْا وَآمَنُوا and, and then it carries on, but the main part is saying, it is, there is no problem, junah, there is no problem, there is no sin, there is no blame on those who have believed and have done good deeds regarding that which they've already consumed. So whatever they've consumed in the past, then after that they've made tawbah and they've become good believers and so on, then there is no problem with that as long as they have taqwa and as long as they believe and they do good deeds. So this is a really, really hopeful verse that tells us about the people, about us, anybody in the past who has sins and who wants to be forgiven. And the forgiveness, the forgiveness is definitely there as long as we change our way afterwards. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. So somebody said to Qatada, and this is just uh, actually a part of the hadith, a part of the chain of the hadith. Somebody said to the Qatada, because Qatada had related this from Anas ibn Malik, that did you hear this from Anas ibn Malik? He said, yes, I heard this directly from Anas ibn Malik. And somebody had actually said to Anas ibn Malik that had you heard this directly from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi He said yes. So uh, that's just part of the chain. You don't have to uh, take too much uh, concern about that. Now there's another version which is in Sahih Muslim, which has a slightly uh, um, bit more detail in it. Um, it's it's actually a shorter version. Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. Abdul Aziz ibn Suhaib said that they were asking Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu about this date wine, and. He says, yeah, in, in those days, we had no other wine. It used to be this date wine. That is what we used to have in those days. Uh, the one that you call fadikh, fadikh. That's what they call it. He says, I was standing up. And I remember I was actually serving this to Abu Talha, Abu Ayyub, and a number of other companions of the Prophet ﷺ in our house, you know, so the party or the meeting was in our house on that day. When suddenly this man came and he said, uh, has the information not reached you? And we said, no. So he says that the wine has been made haram. So immediately, um, Abu, uh, Abu Ayyub, sorry, Abu Talha said, Anas, Pour, pour these out, pour, pour these vessels out. And they did not ask anybody else. It was just they got that news and immediately they poured it out. It tells you just how quick they're to listen to the Quran and, and do that. That's the amazing thing about it. Right? That's the amazing thing about it. The next story I want to mention to you is regarding verses that you know. Every one of you will know this because a lot of you would actually be reading some of these verses. And this is related to the verses, the last verses of Surah Al-Baqarah, right? And the story of how that was revealed. Abu Hurairah anhu reports, and this is a famous hadith that Imam Muslim has transmitted and others, you know, and, and it's a very sahih hadith. And Abu Hurairah anhu relates that when the following verses were revealed to the Prophet لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِن تُبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ أَوْ تُخْفُوهُ يُحَاسِبَكُمْ بِهِ اللَّهِ 
فيغفر لمن يشاء ويعذب من يشاء والله على كل شيء قدير what this means is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this and these are the verses just preceding Amen al-Rasul bima unzila ilayhi min rabbihi wal mu'minun at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala belongs everything that is in the heavens and that is in the earth and now whatever you hide within yourselves and whatever sorry whatever you expose uh, outside from what's in your heart and you expose it and that which you conceal within your hearts Allah will take you to task for it Allah will reckon with you about it there will be a questioning about it then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive whoever he wishes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish whoever he wishes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ability over all things now tell me what did that do for you you've heard this maybe for the first time in your life translated you know maybe you've been reading this but you've never come across the translation but now this is the first time the quran is telling you i just want to see this interaction let's just see it for ourselves allah is saying whatever you conceal in your hearts or whatever you open up in front of others you're going to be reckoned for both of them which means you're going to be reckoned for even the thoughts in your mind how do you feel about that? Now the thing about this is that some people may said, "Well, what's the big deal? We, well, we expected that somebody might be saying, um, who cares? You know, that's difficult." Some some people may saying, "Man, that's very difficult. I can't, I can't do that." You know, like if I'm going to have to be, I think of so many different things a day. I thought it was that you're not for, you know, you are not forgiven. Sorry, that you are forgiven for these things and they don't matter until you actually do something physically, right? These will be various different reactions if somebody even cares. Otherwise, it's like, okay, it's just another verse of the Quran. It's just another command of the Quran, right? We are not doing very well in all the others anyway. Now, look at what happened with the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. As soon as that was revealed, that was related to the people. When people heard this, that was severe. That was like a severe blow. Like, how can we do this? And this is what they said to the Prophet ﷺ. They, they came to the Prophet ﷺ and they said, and you know, they came to the Prophet ﷺ for, uh, they, they couldn't even sit down. That's how agitated they were. They were in so much anguish. They actually stood, stood up on their knees, right? And they're like standing, uh, standing on their knees, or you can say sitting on their knees, or however you want to say this, standing up on their knees actually. Asking the Prophet ﷺ, saying, Ay Rasulullah, kullifna min al-a'mali ma nutiq, as-salat wa-siyam wal-jihad wa-sadaqah. That we have been made responsible and we've given the, you know, the obligation of actions that we can do. Like salat, we've been doing it, siyam, fasting, jihad and sadaqah, charity. But waqad unzilat alayka hadihi al-ayah wa la nutiquha. But now this verse has been revealed to you and we can't do this. Now, what they're worried about is that with everything else, they're doing their best. But once you're going to be accountable for the thoughts in your mind, how can you stop thoughts in your mind? You know, people have thoughts in their mind. It's just that, you know, we may not act upon them. The righteous people will not act on these thoughts, but thoughts come in. Shaitan is there giving thoughts and there's things outside that is going to give you thoughts. We may not act upon it. So, you know, thoughts are five different levels. If you if you were to take the thought that comes in your mind, it's of five different levels, and in Arabic, mashallah, they've got a word for every single one of them. So the fir the first thought is what I would call in English the fleeting thought. 
the concept comes in your mind and then it goes away. You didn't interact with it. It's just like, oh, that's look, that looks really nice. It's haram, right? But it looks really nice. And you didn't really contemplate it too much and it went, came in and it went out. The second stage is that it came in and it lingered. So that's the lingering thought. First one is fleeting thought. This one is the lingering thought. It lingered, but you didn't really interact with it. It was in there. It kept, it kept bothering you that, you know, that those guys, they're going for a night out. You should go as well. You should go as well. How nice it would be. You know, look what they're going to get there. And it, it, it was in your mind, but you were too busy or you didn't really give thought to it. So then it left. The third level is the the where you start dialoguing right where you start contemplating it so it's the contemplative thought so now you're like should i go i could go nobody's going to find out i don't have to do this you know the wife will not know if i was to flirt with her you know that kind of a thought i should do it one was uh, you know it's a really nice person at work that looks really beautiful whatever you know and then you just take it out or it's not there and then the other one is that it stays for a while but you don't really interact now this time you interact with it yes maybe i should no i can't oh no it's bad you know you discourse with it but you don't do anything so you've dialogued with it you've contemplated it and then the fourth one is where you started considering it now yes i should that dialogue is over and it's like, yeah, I should, I should, I should do it. I mean, how is it going to be if I do it? How am I going to do it? Whatever. But you did not fully resolve to do it. You inclined to doing that. Yes, you know, maybe I should do it. But you didn't resolve to do it for whatever reason. And the fifth stage is you've resolved to do it. Yes, I'm going to call her up. I'm going to send a message. I'm going to go with them. I'm going to commit this or whatever the case is. You've made a full resolution. So now these are the five stages of thoughts. The first four stages until, you know, until just before you make a full resolution to do something, they are definitely forgiven according to the pretty much all the scholars. All of those are forgiven because the hadith says so. Right? This we found out later. Right? There. The fourth one is there's a difference of opinion. If you've resolved to do it and then it didn't happen because of some external aspect according to many scholars you are still sinful others say you're not even sinful then until you actually do the act depending on what the act is of course if somebody does kufr in their heart they're going to be sinful even if they don't express it outside so there's a lot of detail there but at least for the first four thoughts are forgiven thoughts are th forgiven the the fourth uh, the five thoughts one is uh, hajis the other one is the the hajis is the fleeting thought khatir is the lingering thought khatir khatara right khatir number 3 the the dialogue the the contemplate contemplative thought is called hadithun nafs right speaking with the self hadithun nafs when you become inclined and you start contemplating it's called ham man hamma bi sayyatin as the hadith mentions all of these words come in the hadith by the way right and the last one is azam when you become fully resolved that's azam but anyway this is what they were really, really, this was their situation. Now, they didn't know all of this detail so far, as far as I understand. All they had heard is that, Whether you reveal it or whether you conceal it, you're going to be accountable for it. They were worried. Why were they worried? Because they were trying to receive 100% in everything they did. They were trying to achieve 100% in everything they did. They know in this case now they're going to mess up. 
Now, if we were trying to receive 100% in everything as well, this would be our attitude as well. But because our attitude is not necessarily 100%, it may be 90% or 70% or 50% or some people even 20%, like I'll do a bit of, you know, in Ramadan I'll worship. So everybody knows what their attitude is, what their attitude, what percentage is their attitude towards Islam of fulfilling. These people wanted 100%. So they got really, really anguished by this. So then the Prophet ﷺ, this is how he responded to them. Now look at the way he's responding to them and this really is very helpful. The Prophet ﷺ immediately said to them, أَتُرِيدُونَ أَن تَقُولُوا كَمَا قَالَ أَهْلُ الْكِتَابَيْنِ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ سَمِعْنَا وَأَصَيْنَا Are you going to, are you intending to say what the two people of the two books before you said when a certain command was revealed to them like this that was difficult? They said, سَمِعْنَا وَأَصَيْنَا We've heard this but we've disobeyed it. We're not going to do it. We've heard this, but we're not going to do it. We're going to disobey it. The Prophet ﷺ said, Instead, you should say, we've heard it and we're going to obey. We have obeyed. We've obeyed. Meaning, you're going to miss, make your best to obey, basically. Your forgiveness, our Lord. Your forgiveness, our Lord. To you is all return. So that's what you're going to say. and say, look, we've heard it. We've obeyed, but your, your forgiveness, Ya Allah. We know we're going to make mistakes, but your forgiveness, our Lord. Immediately they said, They made themselves say this. They're scared, they're trembling, but they make themselves saying this, these Sahaba. The hadith says, القوم, Now those of you who understand Arabic, it wasn't قرأها القوم, it's اقترأها. It's a, it's an additional aspect emphasis there that when they made themselves say these words their tongues succumbed to this they found it easy for Allah and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the next verses immediately after that right Subhanallah. When they said this, these were the verses, Amin al-Rasul, the messenger, believes with what has been revealed to him from his Lord, and so do the believers. All of them believe in Allah and the angels and the books and the messengers. And they say that we do not separate between any of the messengers. And they say, We have heard and we have obeyed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved what they said so much. These were the verses that came down. right? And then it carried on. Now, when they had done this, this much, remember, they're still worried, but they've done this, that they've just been told how to deal with it, right? The command is still there, the command is still there, right? But they've been told how to deal with it, how to respond to it. Now, when they did this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after this, actually cancelled out that command. This is the most amazing part. Allah cancelled out and abrogated that command. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the next part of the verse, which you will know if you know these verses. لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسْعَهَا لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَعَلَيْهَا مَكْتَسَبَتْ No person is, no, no soul is going to be made to bear more than it can bear. Nobody is going to be 
made accountable for more than they can do. For every body, for every nafs, for every soul is that which it has acquired, that which it has earned, and upon it is what it has earned. So it'll be fair and square, right? Whereas these thoughts are automatic, right? They You can't take them out. Yes, you can uh, repel them afterwards, but otherwise you can't stop them from coming in. Because thoughts just come, they just bombard you. They're just like these viruses going around everywhere. You can't stop viruses all the time. You have to just develop immunity from them so that even if the virus does hit, nothing happens. That's what we do. That's the same kind of example that we have with the viruses, right? Or with a cold virus or whatever the case is. You just have to get immunity because viruses are around in the air. You don't know. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us immunities, but there's no vaccines. I mean, uh, I mean, there are vaccines. You know, there's the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all of this is a vaccine. Salat, uh, you know, good salat is a vaccine for... Uh, is a vaccine for for committing sins you know for staying away from committing sins now that's what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said and then he carries on rabbana la tu'akhidhna in nasina aw akhta'na qala na'am now allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching them the dua to make our lord do not take us to task for when we forget or when we make a mistake that's why these are beautiful verses that have been recommended to be read right that then they said, yes, absolutely, ameen. You know, almost like saying, ameen. رَبَّنَا وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِسْرًا كَمَا حَمَلْتَهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِنَا Our Lord, and do not place on us a burden that just as you placed on those before us. They said again, ameen, right? Said, yes. رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ Our Lord, do not make us carry that which we do not have the ability to carry. Don't give us burdens that we can't carry. And they said yes again. And then find the final part of it is, Pardon us. Forgive us. Have mercy upon us. You are our Lord. You are our patron. You look after us. So now assist us over the disbelieving folk. And again, they said, I mean to that as well. And then that became the mustaqil dua for them. That earlier command was, was uh, cancelled. That now you're not going to be responsible for the thoughts in your mind until you resolve or until you do them. Subhanallah. And that's an amazing expression of how we're supposed to interact with the Quran. There's a number of stories regarding this. We're going to cover whatever we can. So there's another one now. Similar to this, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam Ahmad and others have related from Alqama that Abdullah radiallahu anhu said, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu said that when the verse It says, Those people who believe and they do not pollute or mix, adulterate their iman with any Zulm with any oppression. So this was done in praise, right? That those people who've not done that, then for them they get. Uh, it carries on and gives them a lot of pray, promises. So Abdullah ibn Masud said that looking at the literal meaning of this, who've not uh, sullied their iman with any kind of oppression. Right now, oppression is in many forms. One is you oppress somebody else, you take somebody's something. But oppression is also oppression of yourself. 
which means that anything that we do haram and wrong and disobedient or untowards is an oppression of the self because we're not giving our nafs a fair chance to be in paradise, right? And to be loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, Ya Rasulullah, We said, Ya Rasulullah, which one of us has not oppressed themselves at least in some way or the other? So immediately the Prophet ﷺ responded to them. He said, Laysa kama taqulun. This does not mean what you guys are saying. Right? Lam yalbisu imanhum bi shirkin. What we mean by dhulm here is the highest level of oppression, which is shirk, which is polytheism. That's what Allah means. That those people who've never mixed their iman with kind of shirk. Haven't you seen this from the other verse in the Quran where, where Luqman السلام, says to his son, Ya Bunayya la tushrik billahi inna shirka la ghulmun azim. My son, do not ever ascribe any partners with Allah. Don't be don't do polytheism because polytheism is the greatest oppression. It's the greatest greatest zulm. So zulm has many, many different levels. Right, and then the lowest level, you know, it's just uh, maybe uh, even saying something wrong to someone is a dhulm. You know, making a face at somebody is a dhulm as well. But then the highest form of dhulm is the shirk, and that was what was intended here. Now, their approach was not that we take it in the best possible meaning for us so we can get out of this, and let's actually use the Quran to justify our wrong. Uh, most uh, most people out there that are there corrupting others with deviant ideas, they're using the Quran. They're using the Quran, you know, the, but they're using the general nature, the universal kind of general unrestricted nature of the Quran to prove a point of theirs. And those who don't know any better, they, they go with that. Right. Now, if somebody doesn't know any better, they're going to listen to these people, even though they don't look like scholars or anything like that. They look like complete idiots sometimes. And people are going to accept it. I got a question like that the other day, quoting somebody said that, is such and such an act allowed? I said, where are you getting that from? He said, so and so said. I said, subhanAllah, you even feel comfortable in taking knowledge from somebody who looks an absolute idiot? You know, I mean, I, I don't want a character assassination people, but this is a choice, right? Uh, subhanAllah. So, um, there's people out there who are just confused about everything and it's the nafs I think you're just looking for that which is going to be easy so it doesn't matter who's saying it but mashallah this uh, this sister had enough sense in her that uh, you know there's some doubt here so let me ask right so be very careful be very careful but the point is that we we while without we don't want to overdo it you don't want to be OCD about something you don't know properly about and then you try to you know overcome it I mean I'm dealing with somebody right now who has uh, thinks he left Islam and he says he genuinely has now left Islam is because he kept having doubts about whether he was doing kufr. This is OCD, a pure OCD problem, right? Um, and he thinks he's got doubts about leaving Islam. So eventually he actually left. Now he wants to come in, but he's reading all of this stuff online from certain websites, some certain Salafi websites, right? Out of Saudi, I think, or somewhere. And this particular Saudi speaker as well, uh, and they're making the Tawbah process so difficult and he's just misapplying that on his situation saying, I don't feel that level of regret because they're saying you have to feel like an absolute deep regret. Now, yes, for 100 uh, percent Tawbah and sincere Tawbah, that's what you need to. But eventually that's what, you have to strengthen your Iman beca be before you can f feel that sometimes. So he's been 
delaying the entry into Islam because of this reason. I'm saying, look, just say La ilaha illallah. If you're wanting to come into Islam, you know, there's a lot of people who come into Islam. They don't necessarily all feel like everything, you know, is so repugnant. They, they, they listen to the beauty of Islam and they want to take it. Now, anybody who's bold enough to become a Muslim, that's massive, right? As long as then they start avoiding everything. So it's just unnecessary delay for no reason. And there's people out there who perpetrate these, uh, you know, to help people perpetrate these ideas by giving the most strictest way of doing. This is not what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us. This is not the way the Prophet sallallahu dealt with people either. Let it be easier for people to stay in Islam as long as you're not liberalizing it. Right? But don't make it extra tough either. Okay, the next hadith is from... Uh, another interaction, which is from Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shammas radiallahu anhu. What happened in this case is, there's a verse that was revealed. In Surah Al-Hujarat. لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي ولا تجهروا له بالقول كجهر بعضكم لبعض أن تحبطوا أعمالكم وأنتم لا تشعرون. Essentially saying, don't raise your voices over the voice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa so the Prophet's voice pitch, don't raise your voice over that. This is how they took it. Don't speak loudly and so on. Thabit ibn Qais ibn Shammas was the khatib of the Ansar. He was their best speaker. He was their best person who could give a sermon. Now think of, you know, the best speaker in English, best speaker in Urdu, right, or whatever. He was that. He was very eloquent, amazing, and you know, well known for his Arabic prowess and his convincing power and his effective speech. He had a loud voice, right? You know, because for a person to be a good speaker, you have to have, be able to raise your voice sometimes and sometimes take it down to a low level as well. You know, if you're going to speak in a low level all the time, it's going to become boring and it's going to become like a monotonous tone, right? So people don't enjoy that. Likewise, if you're loud all the time, you're saying like, man, this guy's shouting all the way through. There's a lot of people who don't enjoy that, but there's some people who do enjoy shouting, right? So he could, he could speak very loudly and he had a loud voice by nature, you know, by nat naturally speaking. And he just sat down. When he heard this verse, he just sat down. In the pathway, he sat down in the... As soon as he heard this verse from someone, he sat down on the road, crying. So Asim ibn Adi who's from the Banu Ajilan tribe, he passed by him and he saw him and says, Ma yubkikya thabi, like, why are you crying here? What are you sitting crying here? He's saying, this verse I, has made me frightened, right? And I'm frightened that this verse was revealed about me because I've got a very, very loud voice. And a sayyid, rafi'u sawt, I'm very, very loud in my voice. Now, Asim didn't know what to say, Right? Sorry, yeah, Asim ibn Adi didn't know what to say, so he carried on to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, radiyallahu anhu, and he went to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Thabit eventually got so overwhelmed in his tears, right, that eventually he went home, right, and he came to his wife, whose name was Jamila, right, who was the daughter of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, right, but she's probably a Muslim, right, uh, by that time, and he said to her that when I enter this inner room or this house, uh, th this place in the house, then I want you to shut it upon me and drive a nail in there as well so that I can't get out. So she said, okay, I did that for him. 
she was telling him to come out or whatever, but he wouldn't let him then come out. He says, لا أخرج حتى يتوف يتوفاني الله تعالى أو يرضى عني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. He says, I'm not going to come out until I die. Or the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم expresses his satisfaction with me. Now I said, Asim رضي الله عنه gone to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and told him about this, what he had just witnessed. So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم told him, اذهب فادعه لي. You know, go and bring him here. Call him. So Asim رضي الله عنه comes to this uh, Thabit رضي الله عنه's house and he doesn't find him in the main part of the house. So he goes to his wife and uh, they, you know, he tells him where it is. So then he's in this outhouse or wherever it was. And he says, look, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is calling you. So he says, okay, now you can break open the door or the lock or whatever it is, the cover. So then they went to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet sallallahu said, what's making you cry, Ya Thabit? What's making you cry, Ya Thabit? So he said, radiallahu anhu, he said, I have got a very loud voice and I'm fearful that this verse has been revealed about me. I don't know anybody with a louder voice, maybe that's why. لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي ولا تجهروا له بالقول. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, أما ترضى أن تعيش حميدا وتقتل شهيدا وتدخل الجنة? I would you not be happy? Basically, he's saying that would you not be happy if I told you, right, that you're going to be, you're going to have a very praiseworthy life, and then you're going to be martyred as a shaheed, right? You're going to be killed as a martyr. And then you're going to enter paradise as well. Would you not be happy about that? So, subhanAllah, I mean, he's thinking, subhanAllah, he says, I'm absolutely satisfied and happy with the glad tidings of Allah and His Messenger. And I will now never raise my voice above the voice of the Prophet meaning I will actively, even though naturally I've got a loud voice, there's some people that actively got a loud, louder voice, right? I'm going to actively lower my voice in that sense. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the verse about him. Subhanallah, subhanallah. You see, this is the reaction that we need to have with the Sunnah, with the Quran, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates. He's not going to reveal a new verse if we find abstaining from zina haram and difficult, right? But the idea is that we're going to do our best in all of these things. Even though, I mean, zina is easy, but the other th things which may be common is steadfastness and so on. Fastaqim kama umirt, stay steadfast as you have been commanded. That's not easy. But we do our best. So Allah says, those who lower their voice by the Messenger of Allah وسلم, these are the people whose hearts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested for taqwa and God-fearingness. A number of tabi'een have also uh, mentioned this story. So subhanAllah, this is the interaction with the Qur'an. May Allah give us this kind of interaction with the Qur'an. There's another one. Allah, Allah, Allah. Imam Bukhari has related this from Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu. Qala kana rajulun yakra'u surat al-kahf. There was a man who was reciting surat al-kahf. And on his side, I mean, he was reading it. And you know, in those days, they had their camels maybe tied next to them, you know, by a tree or whatever it was, right? And he said he had, a, he had his camel uh, 
camel horse actually, I think this is horse, tied next to him. And suddenly there's something which overcame that, that scenario, that scene. And actually, let me give you the more detailed version of this. It's a hadith in Sahih Muslim from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu, from Usaid ibn Hudayr. This one puts more in perspective. He says, at nighttime, he was reciting in his outhouse in which he also had his horse tied there, right? Now, this is, they do this in India, Pakistan, many of these countries, you know, you can be sitting around and the horse is tied next to you. I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, today you wouldn't do that, right? But it's like having your car next to you, right? So he was reciting Quran there when suddenly his horse started going around, started getting a bit turbulent, meaning started moving around, right? And uh, he carried on reading and it carried on moving and he carried on reading and it moved even more. So Usaid said, I got a bit fearful that my son Yahya, right, who was sleeping there as an infant, he'd been sleeping close to me, you know, on the floor. I got worried that this horse is now getting a bit agitated and moving around like this, that he's going to trample over Yahya. فَقُمْتُ إِلَيْهَا So he, he didn't know why it was happening, but he got up. Right? He got up to check it and then to take his son or whatever it was to put him in a safe place or whatever. Suddenly I see like a cloud formation above my head in which there are like lights. Subhanallah. There are like lanterns in there, like lights, small lanterns in this kind of cloud formation above me. And it is rising up right in you know, in the air there. I've never seen it before. So he had that experience. And then the next day he goes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, at night time, last night, in the middle of the night, I was reciting in my outhouse, maybe not to bother anybody inside the main house. When suddenly my, he explained the whole story, my horse started making all of these movements and started getting a bit agitated and walking around. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, don't worry about it. He said, Iqra, ya, uh, ya, uh, Iqra ibn Hudayr. Continue reading, O son of Hudayr. So he explained the whole thing. And then uh, he said, um, he told him about his child had been there and everything. And he got worried and that he's going to be uh, tread upon, uh, trodden upon by the horse. And then he explained that I saw this formation. And the Prophet is carrying on saying that you should just read, you should just read, you should just read the Quran. So when the Prophet was told this by him, that I saw this cloud formation with what seemed like lanterns inside, right, that was rising up in the air, right, the Prophet said this. He said, Those were the angels that had come to listen to you. And had you continued reading, then you would have entered the morning and people would have been able to see them because it looks like they were really enjoying your reading. There's others, there's other versions of this way. It's saying that Tilkas, so the first version, similar kind of thing happened, except that he didn't have his child. He actually observed this phenomenon himself. And he said, Tilkas Sakina tu tatanazzalat bil Quran. That's the Sakina. That is the Sakina and the tranquility which descends when the Quran is being recited. So nowadays, there must be a lot of sakina in the homes of the believers because there's a lot of Quran being recited. MashaAllah, you know. If you've got five or six people in the house and they're all reading a few juz a day, that's a huge amount of Quran that's being recited.
that means there must be a lot of sakina in the house. And for us, I, be, I feel definitely, definitely a lot more sakina in the, in the house in Ramadan. I feel a lot more sakina. I wish we could continue this you know, throughout the year. So that's the sakina. Now the sakina you're going to feel, inshallah, the tranquility when you read the Quran. You may not be able to see this cloud formation. That doesn't necessarily happen all the time. You may be, you know, some of you may have had this experience. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, but this is what's mentioned here in this hadith. This gives us the interaction of the Sahaba with the Quran. We just, I just wanted to see what there. So I searched for this and I found these stories, right? That's why I've talked about this today. I wanted to see how they dealt with the Quran. And there's numerous other cases. There's numerous others mentioned, but this is probably enough for today. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the same, because this is... As Allah says in the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah, فَإِنْ آمَنُوا بِمِثْلِ مَا آمَنْتُمْ بِهِ فَقَدْ اِهْتَدَوْا That if these other people bring faith the same way that you guys have brought faith, meaning the Sahaba, then they have been guided. And that's the kind of faith we want. So we learn from the Sahaba of how to have faith, how to interact with the Quran, because that's our topic you know, for this month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us with the Quran, interact with the Quran, beautify us with the Quran, grant us success with the Quran. May, it in, may Allah enrich us with the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, make us independent with the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us satisfaction through the Qur'an, tranquility through the Qur'an, solace through the Qur'an, comfort through the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us our answers. May Allah make it our guiding, guiding light. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to remain close to the Qur'an and increase in our understanding for it and die and then ascend in the hereafter in the paradise with the Qur'an as well and may it protect us from the hellfire. I request from all of you in this month of Ramadan, tonight is the 20, tonight is the 27th night, subhanAllah, tonight is the 27th night. I would like all of you and like you to make a dua for me. We have a, a few projects that need to be fulfilled and you know, I want your dua, your dua to that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us and facilitate this for us. Right, and inshallah, I believe your du'as will be accepted. And if you can make that du'a for myself and my family, and for Ismail and everybody else who supports us as well, and may Allah bless you all as well. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum. ورحمة الله وبركاته